Thank you, Micah, and thank you, Ben. Jesus, I pray today you would speak to us clearly. And I pray amidst all that we talk about, I pray that the Holy Spirit would translate this to what each, each of us need. Amen? Amen. I'll tell you a story. There was once a, a good king. And this good king had a kingdom of people that he loved. And he provided protection for them. And he provided joy and peace for them. He had a powerful army. He was a powerful, good king. And one day, one of his captains was tired of being just a captain and declared mutiny and tried to take over the good king's throne through a coup. Well, the good king and his loyal soldiers defeated the enemy captain and his disloyal soldiers, and he banished them from the castle. He said, leave. You're no longer welcome. The enemy was defeated, but he was seething angry. And the enemy now knew, he knew that he could not defeat the good king just through strength. He had tried, but he could not. But the king had a vulnerability. You see, the good king loved his people. He loved his subjects. And the enemy knew he could get to the good king through his people. In a daring raid one night, the enemy tricked and convinced the people of the good king to follow him. And the next day when the good king found out that his people were gone from his kingdom, he received a messenger, the enemy himself. And the enemy walked in and said, oh, good king, how are you today? It's good to see you. I have something I think that you want. And you can have it back but it's going to cost you. He said, that, that only son of yours, your son, the general of your armies, give him to me. Give him to me and I will return your people. And the son heard this and the son steps forward and said, of course, father, of course we do this. We love our people. And the son gave himself over to the enemy who led him out of the castle and immediately he was surrounded by the, the enemy's minions and they began to, to push him back and forth and laugh at him and then to beat him. And then, then it got even worse. They mocked him, they spit on him, they whipped him. They beat him up so bad you couldn't even recognize him as the son and then they paraded him through the streets saying, look at your king, look at your prince, look at him. Look what we've done. King's heart broke as he watched this. His people returned to him. The price of the ransom was high. But when his subjects returned, he held audience with them and he said, the price of your freedom was my son's life. I no longer call you subjects. You are my sons and daughters. Each of you with full rights as sons and daughters. But the price was high. And I love you that much. Every day when he would see those people and every day when the, his sons and daughters would see the king, they were reminded of the great price that was paid. Now this story is important and you'll see why as we move into this message. But before we get into the meat of the message, I want to give you a little bit of a prologue on today's passage from the book of James. It's hard. This is as hard as it gets. After this, it gets easier, doesn't it, Charlie? <laughs> But it reminds me, this week I was, with, I was with Elijah. He was getting a shot. And, and you know, a little kid in shots, that, that's just something you, they're terrified of. And I, I kept telling him the fear is worse than the feeling and uh, worse than the pain. And, and he was so scared. I, I, 
This is, this is medicine you need, Elijah. It's going to sting, though. And today we have some hard medicine. Today James gives us some hard medicine, a vaccine against our selfishness. And, and this is medicine that I needed this week. And I believe this is some medicine that we all need in our lives. But I want to just warn you, it's going to sting. It's going to hurt a little. But it's going to give clarity and conviction. And it calls us back to God. So let's see what all this ruckus is about. Let's, James 4.4, 4, we'll have it up on the screens, or you can turn there if you want. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity or hatred against God? You know, in all my days of being a pastor, I've never seen this tattooed on somebody. And, and, and Pinterest and Hobby Lobby have never made like some shingle that goes on a wall that says, you adulterous people, this isn't really a popular one to, to, you know, to do those things with. It's hard. Here at the Orchard, we have a core axiom where we say everything is relational. And James would agree. It, it, as hard as this passage, passage is, it's all relational. In fact, he's going to use two separate relationship dynamics and two different kinds of love to show us what he means. The first relational dynamic and the first type of love comes forward right at the beginning when he says, you adulterous people. Sign me up to be James's friend. I mean, that's, that's pretty incredible. It's not fun to be called adulterous, and a person can only be called adulterous when they have broken a relational covenant. You're only adulterous when you've broken a relational promise. And we get these relational promises in the human terms. You know, a man and woman stand before God and family and friends and they make a vow to love each other because there's passion that leads to a promise. I mean, you've seen these young couples, right? You've seen the way they act around each other. Remember when you used to look at your spouse that way? Do you remember? <laughs> it was passion and promise. Both are great, but one fades quicker than the other. And, and the reason the covenant is there is because when the passion fades, the promise holds, or it should. You know, go find a young couple and tell them, warn them, build your life on the promise because the, the passion you feel right now will, will fade. And you know what? They'll look at you the same way that you looked at some old person back when you were their age. And, you'll, and they'll go, maybe for you and your marriage, but we're special. What we have is unlike anything and ever. And they walk away shaking their heads and you walk away shaking your head. But over time, over the course of life, it's not the passion that holds the relationship, it's the promise. There will be days when those things that were so cute in the beginning are annoying. And, and just to know, just to let you know how far I go for you to do these sermons, I asked my wife this question. I said, what's something about me that was cute when we were dating or engaged that is annoying now? And I, I, it's a dangerous question. And I gave her some time. <laughs> a couple hours later, she came out of the bedroom and handed me a zip drive because I guess the email was too big to, <laughs> was too big of a file to email. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> she said she had two. She goes, I just, and she goes, I, I just, are you sure? Are you sure you are? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. This is for a sermon. Give it to me. She goes, well, your sarcasm was funny when we were dating. And I said, that's enough. Okay, okay, I know. <laughs> I know. Somehow a wedding cake took away your sense of humor, but I don't know what happened. Right there, that's what it is, right there. Okay. 
<laughs> and then she had another one. She said, when we were first married and you couldn't find your keys or something, I would just think, oh, it's so cute. He needs me. And I was like, that, that's not still cute? Like, wh- what do you think now? Find your own keys. I got kids over here. <laughs> You know, passion covers a multitude of annoyances, but promise holds strong through sarcasm and losing things and chewing too loud and sharing a bathroom. Like, there's the passion and the promise. And we are in a covenant relationship with God, and God is unlike us. You see, he has built his covenant promise, his relational promise, on a, on a kind of love that is unique. And the Bible has many different terms for love. You might know this, but in our culture, we have one word for love. What is it? Love. It's the most overused word in the English language because we say, I love you, my beloved bride. I love you, my son. I love Taco Tuesdays. (laughs) I just love a new haircut. I love to see them lose in the finals. I love Jesus. That one word works on almost everything from God and family and friends to tacos and handbags. I mean, we, but, but God has, in the Bible, they have different words for love. And the type of love we're going to talk about here in this adulterous part, in this covenant part, is called agape. And you might have heard all about it, but I want you to sit back and receive it again. Agape is unconditional love. Agape is love with no qualifier and no condition on it. You don't qualify for it, and there's no condition that it hinges on. God's love for you in Jesus says, my love doesn't change based on your behavior or how far or how long you have wandered away. My love remains strong when you sin, and my love remains strong when you do what you should do. God says, my love for you is is strong when you tithe, and it's strong when you squander. Those things don't ruin agape love. I try to tell my kids this all the time, and it's to the point where now they know I'm going to say it. And I told Elijah yesterday, I said, Elijah, I love you, buddy. I can't love you anymore, and I won't love you any less. I said, did you know there's nothing you could do or win that would make me love you more? And did you know there's nothing you could do that would make me want to love you less? And he goes, I know, Dad. You tell me all the time. I said, do you want me to stop telling you? No, you can keep telling me. You see... We have a longing for this. And, and even me, my, my love, even as a dad, my love for him pales in comparison to God's agape. God's passion for you can't love you anymore. And God's promise for you won't love you any less, despite all we may do to tarnish it. The Bible actually says that God is love, and the word is agape. The agape is the substance our Father is made of. You can't out God's love. And I want us to really get this and see this because we're about to move forward in this verse and we gotta know that there's agape involved in this. Because in Jesus, you are loved with, with a love that has no conditions. Jesus went to the cross for you when he knew the sins you were gonna, gonna, gonna commit. Your sin is not more powerful than the divine love of God. We need to be reminded of these things because we come in with shame and like, well, I don't know, you don't know how big my sin is. Well, then you don't know how big God's love is. His agape holds without condition, which is why when we turn away from him, it's so heartbreaking because he offered this great love and in return, I offered him betrayal. So it's no wonder James says, listen, you're in a covenant promise with God. He loves you. His son died for you and you've broken your promise. 
God paid a ransom for you. He sent his son to pay the price. He made you his own and you've broken it, you adulterous people. You've cheated on the one that that loves you the most. But James isn't done. He's gonna double down on this with the rest of the verse. James 4.4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Like, how do you put this in the New Testament? He starts with adultery and cheating, and now he moves into friendship. And by the way, if you're a guest, this is your first time, welcome to the orchard. (laughs) We're working through James, and we take it as it comes, and this is the gumball that came down, and this is the day you came, okay? (laughs) James says, don't even be friends with the world. Now, this begs the question, we have to ask this, what is the world? It's not the physical globe. The world that God refers to, that it's referred to in the Bible, is the system of living that is contrary to God's kingdom. It's not people, it's not even the bad people, quote, because Jesus had a reputation for being a friend of sinners and drunken prostitutes, and you don't earn that reputation by just hanging out at church all the time. He was friends with those people. The world is the kingdom and culture of God's enemy here on earth a culture that stokes the fire of our selfishness. It says, it says, have pleasure at all cost, and it tempts us to do things that rebel against God's plan. The world is the, is the enemy's corruption that seduces us from God's way. And we battle with these things. And James says here that we shouldn't even be friends with this system of selfishness that the world has. And there's a reason for that. Because the world always takes more than it gives. Now, it might give you some instant gratification, but it steals in the process. And the world will always sell you out. It has zero loyalty and zero good intentions for you. The world will add nothing of worth to your life, but it wants to take everything that means the most to you. The world wants to destroy your character. It sells us the lie that our our happiness is way more important than our holiness. The world wants to destroy our relationships that when the the passion of of our marriage fades, the world tells you, hey, don't rely on the promise, just go out and find some new passion. See, the world has zero good intentions for you or your family. And in the end, the world wants to see you left broken and ruined and ashamed. And James says, don't even entertain a friendship with God's enemy. That anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And I'm gonna spend some time here on the word friendship, which seems like a strange place to stop with all this fiery language around it. But this is the second relational dynamic and the second type of love that James talks about. This is important. And we have to discuss, what does it take to be a friend? How do you become friends with somebody? What does it mean to be a good friend? Well, first, you, you do get to choose your friends. Friendships, friendship doesn't happen by accident. It takes effort and time and intentionality. And you often begin by just having something in common. A common interest with someone can begin a friendship. You spend some time together talking about things that you both care about or doing things you both enjoy. A friendship happens when two parties put in the effort to make a mutual friendship. Friendship is a two-way street. You ever try to be friends with somebody and they just didn't reciprocate? 
You ever had somebody try to be friends with you and you just put them off enough times that it just finally fizzled out? Friendship takes two. And the word used here for friendship, this kind of love isn't agape. This kind of love is called phileo. It's the love between friends. And this is the love that God created as well. Phileo isn't like agape, though. They're completely different substances. You see, agape can stay true and stay solid over the years, across distance, and, and without any input from the other party. Agape doesn't need the input of the other party. Agape solely depends on the party who has it and grants it. While phileo depends on both parties. Agape never fades, while phileo can grow apart. Agape doesn't stop when wounded, but phileo can cut people out of their life. Agape has no conditions, while phileo is forged on conditions. <coughs> Agape needs no time. Phileo requires time. Agape is given, while phileo is give and take. So we have these two kinds of love. And James asks us here that while we're in a relational promise of agape with God, are we forging a phileo friendship with the world? Friendship takes two interested sides. And make no mistake, the world is very interested in being your friend. The world wants you to spend time with it. The world wants you to do things that it wants you to do. And the enemy of God wants you to become okay with doing things that you never thought you would do. The world is interested in friendship with us and it's in our hands if we return this two-way street. And I had to stop this week and ask myself, am I friends with the kingdom that rivals God? Am I friends with God's enemy? Do I have things in common with the world? Do I spend time intentionally with the world? Where am I involved in things that lead me away from God? These are very heavy and dangerous questions to ask. But I want to tell you what's more dangerous is not to ask yourself these questions. So where are you friendly with God's enemy? Where are you developing a, a friendship with things that are contrary to the way that he calls us to live? The good king, he ransomed his subjects with the the life of his only son, and he made the people his sons and daughters. And they had benefited from his agape. And one evening he was walking the castle wall, and he could see the enemy's encampments down below him. He could see their fires, he could hear the sounds of the war camp, and he knew they'd be, they'd be raiding tomorrow, trying to, trying to pick off one of his sons or daughters who wasn't vigilant. When he heard something, he heard something that sounded a little bit different. It wasn't war. It was laughing. So he walked across the wall and got closer and looked down and he could see into the enemy's camp. He could see by the firelight his ancient enemy sitting there around the fire laughing. And his heart began to break because there sitting next to his enemy was his son, his daughter, me, you the ones who'd been ransomed by his son's life, had gone out and made friends with his enemy. You see, James is serious about this 
because this is so much larger than a thou shalt not or do bad things. We, we think of these worldly things as just dabbling or struggling, but we forget there is an epic war between a kingdom of redemption and salvation and a world of selfishness and wickedness. We forget that there's more at stake than just doing some things we know to be wrong because we were bought with a ransom. We were bought at a great price. And yet I find myself in the camp of the enemy. Orchard, we need to take some stock of our spiritual lives and ask these hard questions. James brings it up with a raging indictment. Such a hard passage. How do you move on from this? Like, where would he go from this? But James doesn't leave us here in adultery and in this enemy of God camp. Because James is guilty of it as well. You see, James has this passion because he has betrayed his Savior. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a, a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And then verse 6, but God gives us more grace. After all that language and all that indictment, he says, but God, which is two of the greatest words in the Bible over and over but God gives us more grace. Because James knows at the end of the day, it's not based on our actions because God's love is agape and you can join the enemy camp and it breaks God's heart, but it doesn't break his love. It doesn't break it. God gives more grace. God's grace is stronger than our sin. In fact, James begins then to unveil and show us the path back to the Father. There's always a clear path back to God, no matter how far we've gone. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all struggle. We all deal with this battle with the world and our flesh and doing these things that we hate. And if you find yourself a friend of the enemy, if you find yourself in enemy camp, here's what James says we should do. Verse seven, first and foremost, submit yourself to God. Reaffirm that God is your king. God, I am your son, I am your daughter, and I am so sorry. And you, you are my God, and I want to live your way. He keeps going, he says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Next, you turn to that enemy, and you clarify who you are, and most importantly, whose you are. It's one of these moments, like in a movie, like when the hero finally unveils himself, like in Gladiator, when he turns around, and he tells the evil king who he is. Well, you get that chance. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee. You tell the enemy, I am a son of the most high God. I am a forgiven saint by Jesus, my Savior. I am the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, and God will have his vengeance with you in this life and the next. And the name of Jesus be gone from me. Submit to God. Resist to the enemy. And he goes on, verse 8, come near to God, and he will come near to you. As a and a reminder that his love is agape. It's not, it's not, his, his agape love doesn't wait with arms crossed in a grimace. Oh, there you are. I thought you'd come back to me, huh? It's been a couple years. Done some stuff, didn't you? Yeah, I know all about it. We're going to have some penance. You're going to pay. That's not God. That's not agape. You see, it doesn't matter how far, how long you wander from God. When you turn around, when you come near to God, he is right here in agape. He is right there no matter how far you've gone with arms wide and love ready and grace given. And he brushes shame off. 
I know you feel shame, but my grace covers that. It says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This simply means to repent. Repent means to turn from what you were doing and, and turn to what you should do, what is wise. Wash your hands of your old friend's ways, your old enemy. Purify your hearts because in your mind you've been trying to serve two kings. And then finally James says, humble yourself before the Lord. On this path back to God, humble yourself. You are my God and he will lift you up. It doesn't matter what sinkhole of sin you've been in. It doesn't matter what terrible lengths that you have gone to to please yourself or what you've picked up along the way in addictions and pain, pain and regret. Whatever pit you have been in, the agape of God reaches in and pulls you out. Whatever it is, David echoes this. David in the Old Testament, he's talking about how God pulls him out. He says, God redeems my life from the pit and crowns me. You're still a son, you're still a daughter. Doesn't matter what pit you're in, he pulls you. Orchard, there is a path back to God that is clear and it's open to walk. And the only thing that stands between you and God in this path is, is our own fear, our own pride, or our own shame. But know this, God is love. His agape calls you back. His grace longs to see you restored. His forgiveness, is, it's already been paid for by Jesus. There's a clear path and no priest and no person and no human process is needed to qualify. Jesus did the work. So we ask ourselves today, what do I do with this? It's a hard teaching, James, but what do I do? I think it's important that during the response time we stop and take some stock of our life. And say, where am I making friends with God's enemy? Where am I dabbling and flirting with something that I think might be okay, but it doesn't lead anywhere good for me? Where am I in the camp of the enemy? And this morning, we can walk back to God with zero condemnation, but before we close and have that response, I wanna, just want to say one more thing about friendship. This is important. God calls you to phileo friendship love. He doesn't just give you agape, he calls you to phileo. And unlike agape, the conditions do apply. A friendship is a two-way street, and God's on one of them calling you. You know, in Jesus, we are in the agape, the unconditional love, and he will love you no less based on your actions. But the Bible is clear, it says that there are those people who are known as friends of God. Go do a word study on it, go look it up. It's interesting, it's fascinating. Even last week we talked about Abraham. Remember Abraham had faith and it worked out in his actions and it says he was called a friend of God. I know what you're thinking. Jesus is everybody's friend, right? He's everyone's friend. But if you look through the Bible, you'll see that sweet little sentiment doesn't actually ring as true as we hoped. Jesus was talking to his closest disciples, his inner circle, and listen to these words he says in John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. Listen, in Jesus, if your faith is in him for redemption and forgiveness, he counts you as his son and daughter. Agape is yours unconditional. But it seems he invites us to something deeper in relationship. It looks like Jesus asks us to walk with him. To make decisions that are wise and are good to put our faith into action. He wants us to participate in faith with him. 
And Jesus says, you'll be my friend. Walk with me. And remember all the benefits of, of friendship, of phileo, the shared experiences, the laugh. You get, you get to know the person in a way you didn't know them before. And Jesus calls us this. He calls us to be a friend. Imagine if we were alive in Jesus' time. You remember he would travel from, from town to town. So imagine we're a town. And he comes and he preaches in our, in our main street. And many of us respond in, <coughs> in faith and, in, and put our faith in him as Savior. And we have that awakening within us. He saves us. And he says, I'm going to leave. Come, follow me. Now many of us would say no. Just like in the Bible, the few were the ones who would leave and follow him. And there were those who would stay back in the town and they would, we would still have our faith in him. We didn't, we didn't leave our town, but we would still have our faith and our salvation and he still loves us. We still have his agape. We can still pray to him and see things happen. We wouldn't miss out on God's love. But for a few of us who, who decided in faith that, to follow him out of town, to leave behind what, our old life and to follow him, we would find ourselves walking on the road next to him and hearing from his lips the teachings that others were just hearing third hand. We would, we would see his face as he, as he taught us about it. We would get to the next town and we would, we would laugh with him as the kids ran to him and tackled him and he tumbled over. We would, we would cry with him because we get to that town where he sees the widow on the funeral procession bearing her only child. We would see his eyes, we would see his eyes well up and we would cry and then our jaws would drop as he would raise that son off the funeral mat and we would see miracles happen firsthand. We would be a witness of these things. We would hear his words to us. He would know us in a way and we would know him in a way that the others back in the town didn't know him and they still have their faith and they're still loved but we would be on the road laughing, conversations, crying, we wouldn't need to go home because our soul has found its truest home in our closest friend. That Jesus, the God of the universe, is our personal friend. Or to, we can't leave our town to follow Jesus. We get that. We can be intentional in our pursuit of him. We can reciprocate the offer of phileo that he's given us. We can speak to him in prayer and not just speak. We can listen and hear his promptings and when we hear and feel his promptings, we can act and we can read his word and get to know his nature and his calling. We can do the things that he's asked of us. We can engage our faith in the world around us and we can know Jesus not just as savior but as friend. And he calls us to this beautiful thing. The invitation is open. And this morning, after a sermon like this, we have a spectrum of, of, of responses. And you might be here, this is, and you don't know God yet. You don't know if your faith is all in, and you're just checking this thing out. And all you need to know from today is that, is that the King, God the Father, paid a ransom for your life. And that he offers an agape, unconditional love that does not hinge on your behavior. And he's calling you to Jesus to put his, your faith in him. And for some of us, we may have been on this journey for quite a while. You had a moment in your past where, past where your passion was high and you made a promise to follow Jesus. You prayed to receive Jesus as your savior, but over the years, you can admit that that passion has faded. In fact, if we could admit it, there isn't much passion at all. 
Today it may be time to look at the reason our passion is fleeting. It's because we have given it to someone else. We have placed it somewhere else. It's time to come home to God. For those of us who who find ourselves on this journey and, and have drifted away, it's time to come home. And there is zero condemnation and there's zero penance. And James gives us this pathway back. And as you sit there and you, as you respond, if this is you, if you realize my passion is gone and I'm, I'm friends with the world, open James 4 and read the, the verse 7 on where he says submit to God. Read down the list as you have your response and pray that prayer. And finally, I want you to consider the fact that while you might be a recipient of God's agape, you might not be walking with him in phileo. And perhaps we behave, perhaps we have behaved our way out of friendship with God. But today, there is a deep calling by Jesus. Come, follow me. He offers it freely. And in the pursuit of Jesus, as our heart pursues him, we will find what our soul longs for most. Jesus offers us friendship. We have his agape. And so as you respond today, my prayer is this. My prayer in preparing this was, wow, I don't know what to say, really. But Jesus, I pray you translate it. And so wherever you find yourself on this spectrum, I want you to, to, to respond in the way God would call you. And maybe you come up and you get um, the symbol of his blood and his body. And remember at the orchard, it's an open table. If you're new here, there's no class to take. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and that qualifies it. And as you would get the, the symbol of his blood and body and sit down, you ask Jesus what you do with this. I think this is very relevant to our lives. It's relevant to my life. It was so challenging to me. And God in his grace will not condemn you. If you hear that, rebuke it. He's calling you in grace. Jesus, we thank you for the ransom you paid for us. We thank you that agape love is the most powerful force there is. I thank you that you've revealed you're you're calling us to a deeper friendship, a deeper relationship. For many of us, Father, let's not just be in your agape and be satisfied. I pray you call us more intentionally into this friendship. And for, Father, for some of us here today, as we find ourselves in the camp of the enemy or a little too close in friendship with the world, I pray in your grace and your tenderness you would call us home. Remind us of who we are. Remind us whose we are. In Jesus' name, amen.